Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Murphy, and this is my podcast. It's called Other Life because it's where I talk about all the things I don't get to talk about in normal life. So if you're into it, you should definitely subscribe. And if you'd like to talk to other people interested in what I'm interested in, or ask me questions or request future topics or guests, please just follow the link in the show notes. Finally, I just want to give a huge thanks to all the donors and patrons. I could not keep this podcast running without financial backers, so I'm very grateful. And I would just say that if you enjoy this podcast or my blog or my videos, please do consider signing up to give a little bit of money each month. It would really help me grow out this project, and it would mean a lot to me. So thanks a lot. Now on to the podcast, over and out. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Other Life Podcast, the greatest podcast in the world currently for people who are interested in strange, interesting internet thinkers and creators and strange people in general. Someone told me in a DM the other day that I like this. She said, you're like the Oprah of internet wackos. I'm proud of that. I'm, I'm cool with that. That's how I'm, that's how I'm seen. It's fine by me. Uh, in just a minute, we're going to be joined by a young man named Chris Gabriel, who runs the meme analysis YouTube channel. I'll bring him in in just a minute. Uh, until then, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a warm up here. Uh, he does, you know, what the YouTube channel sounds like it does. Uh, he analyzes memes, but he's uh, quite, I think, a cogent observer of the contemporary internet culture. His, his meme videos, I think, are quite good. I think he's, you know, he has his finger on the pulse in a way that I quite appreciate. And uh, I think the channel is fairly new, but it seems off to a good start. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in his what he's doing, and I'm interested to pick his brain about memes and memetics more generally. He tells me he's also an occultist, uh, so I'm sure we'll uh, have some interesting dialogues on many fronts. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, just a real uh, quick bit of news and updates. Uh, I am going to be doing a live podcast show slash party for the base Deleuze paperback release in Los Angeles. And that's going to be on February 28th. You can actually buy tickets already. Uh, there's a link in the description. If you're in the LA area and you want to come through, I'd love to meet you. And uh, in fact, there's going to also be a weekend kind of extended after party, if you will. I'm doing a, a very somewhat ambitious experiment for me anyway. I've done meetups before, but I've never quite done this. What I'm doing now is I'm going to rent a huge house in LA. And from the night of the live podcast show from February 28th, that Friday, until the Sunday morning, uh, so two nights for the weekend, I will rent a massive mansion that will be able to house about 20 people. And I'm going to uh, br like let people from the internet, uh, anyone who wants to stay with me, stay in this house. Um, and it'll be kind of like a experimental conference slash retreat type thing. I haven't actually worked out the itinerary or what exactly we're going to be doing. I'll kind of do that based on the types of people who who respond and want to get a room. And I've tried to do this in a very kind of communist way. There's multiple price points. Some are more expensive. Like if you want a private room, if you're like a rich person, you want like your own bedroom, uh, your own bed, then I like put a high price on that. But if you're just kind of like in the LA area, but you don't have that much money, but you want to hang out in a, kind of interesting uh, experimental conference slash retreat mansion with me and other kind of internet, I guess like thinkers, makers, whatever you want to call uh, people in my orbit, then uh, I have like also a price, a low price point. You can just come with like a sleeping bag if you want, if you're cool with just kind of like crashing wherever. Um, there's like a cheap price point for that. So there's a little form you have to fill out if you're interested in this and you're in the LA area. Actually, there I've talked with two people who are going to be flying in. So if you want, if, if it's a, attractive enough to you and interesting enough to you that you want to even come in from afar, you know that do as you please. 
there's a little form. There's a description. There's a link in the description below. You can just fill out a quick little form. Give me some information about yourself. And then um, I'm not like judging people. It's more just like making sure people will be a good fit and, you know, have something to to do and to offer. It'll probably have some, we'll kind of do some creative stuff. I think like there'll be videos and audio kind of being recorded and stuff like that. And then some private talks and hangouts. And we might kind of uh, make a little agenda of people giving talks or something like that, uh, kind of conference style and informal kind of experimental way. We'll see. I'm going to decide that based on kind of who who the lineup is, who, who wants to come. So yeah, that should be fun. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, the base Delos paperback is going to be out very, very soon. I'm putting on the final touches as we speak. All right. So if you haven't already, please do subscribe to my YouTube channel. And uh, remember that this is a podcast also, so you can get it wherever you get your podcast. So if you're not able to listen to the whole thing on YouTube, you know, uh, just go and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app so you can listen to the whole audio later when you're at the gym or taking long drives or doing whatever it is you do. Cool. All right. I don't want to keep Chris waiting any longer. So I'm going to... Uh, I think I will bring him in right now. Here we are. Chris, you're now on the air with me. How you doing, man? You all right? Hang on. I'm not hearing you. Let me make sure it's not me. Do you have your mic set? Now I can't hear you. Okay, I can okay. hear you. No, I can hear you now. You can hear me now? All right. Hopefully there's no feedback. Yeah, it should be all right. If if, it, if there's a problem, I'll let you know. How you, how you doing today, man? I'm doing good. Good, good. So why don't you start by just telling me a little bit about your YouTube channel, Meme Analysis. Like, when did you start it and what was the what's the idea behind it? So we've been going for about a year now, at least on that channel. Uh, I made some videos back in 2017 and I was uh, writing from probably 2015 on uh, just on Reddit. And the idea was always a kind of psychoanalytic approach to memes and specifically through Jung because, you know, the uh, initial critique meme was that it was too similar to an archetype. And I essentially have follow, followed that path uh, of archetypal analysis of memes and I've been sticking with it and I've had some, I think, uh, some interesting results. Cool. So tell us more about that. What is the archetypal analysis of memes? So essentially, um, I don't know if you know about tarot cards, but tarot cards are a good way to kind of take a look at images that are um, symbolically dense, colorful, and contain text often. And okay. the way that you would look at a tarot card, you might... Um, view it intuitively, or you can utilize a symbolic lens and see, oh, this contains a goat, a wand, and a woman, meaning this. Um, so I take the images apart, symbol by symbol, uh, by colors, and then compare it to pre-existing uh, archaic symbols to find any meaningful coincidences and patterns. And I think that there definitely are. Okay. Okay. So basically you believe that the current kind of internet meme cultures are trafficking in a much longer standing tradition of images, of colors, of symbols that they perhaps don't even know that they're trafficking in. Oh, exactly. The entire uh, idea is that it's unconscious in their production. They right. are not aware of the meaning that they're producing. And right. Okay. So what's... What's an example? What's like the hottest, most interesting meme at the moment that you're that you're interested in? 
You know, we're really at a kind of boring point. There really aren't any exciting memes right now. Really? Uh, I would say if I have to pick one important place, maybe a place that people should pay attention to, yeah, it would be TikTok. Huh. To TikTok because it is extremely popular and it goes a step above something like Reddit or 4chan or Tumblr because it involves um, actively producing videos um, and dancing. It's not, it's not even just speaking. It's, you know, a whole movement that's associated with this, um, place online. And as I talked about this in a video, um, the rapper juice world, there was a really interesting coincidence where, um, the kind of dance that went along with one of his songs involved, um, the kids acting like they had a seizure during one of the breakdowns. And of course he ends up dying of a seizure. And I thought there was a very interesting kind of um, predictive or uh, precognitive aspect of that, a kind of hyperstitional collective fiction manifesting in a real death. Huh? Our- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> huh? Right. That's interesting. Now, one could say that TikTok is sort of the, a lot of people would think kind of the opposite, that it's sort of the evacuation of, of transcendental meaning. And it's kind of the most, one of the most radical forms of just absolute cheapening of creative content to kind of the absolute bare minimum of base kind of human uh, desires, right? It's, it's basically like hot girls lip syncing to pop songs and doing like the same dances. Uh, I, I've, I've kind of learned that on TikTok there's like certain dances that become hot. Uh, they're like the dance of the moment. And it's just like a little three-step thing or whatever. And everyone does that three-step thing to different songs. It's mostly like hot girls. Uh, so so one could um, kind of say that it's, uh, it, one might say that it's hard to find any kind of transcendental meaning uh, or kind of uh, symbology, but maybe I would love for you to kind of uh, make the case a little bit more. <laughs> so, I mean that uh, immediately we have the case that it's it's Dionysian art. It's not it's not Apollonian. It's not this kind of well structured, um, unique. It is something that's shared, collective, and mad. But it so, is formulaic, though, right? It, a lot of it is formulaic. It, it, they're kind of copying each other in, in pretty like simple rote routines, right? Madness, madness with a series of uh, repeating aspects. Okay. Um, but I feel also that it denies a bit of the creativity in TikTok, like there, it, it might be, if there are, yes, there are cute girls just dancing, but there are also extremely creative people utilizing that medium very well. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like I know, you know, I know very young kids who do like, um, stop motion on it. Like, it just seems to me like it's a much more immediate YouTube and it allows for much more popularity and it is. And I think they do it. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. I, 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 could, I could definitely see that. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm sold. <laughs> um, okay, so t- you think TikTok is really interesting right now. Any, any other things you think going on right now are, are particularly exciting or interesting on the, on the front of mimetic advancement? Um, conspiracy theorists. I think um, mm. people who believe that they're being gang-stalked, uh, people who believe in all of these various conspiracies they what is gang stalked? Uh, gang stalking is this idea. Um, okay, so it's it's a schizophrenic idea, but they vehemently deny 
that they are schizophrenic. They believe that they are being trailed by coworkers, um, people who claim to be their friends, um, Mm. government pizza delivery men, UPS drivers, uh, white cars, red cars. It's a series of individuals who are constantly tracking them and not just tracking them, not just being around, but they have directed energy weapons, which beam torturous, um, physical sensations and mental sensations into their heads. But what makes it, so this is popular to think this about oneself. It is, is, uh, it's very, very frightening how popular it is. It's, it's certainly like a modern, um, delusion. It's not just a, it's not as easy as it used to be. It's not like believing in that you're Christ or Napoleon. Like, and the other unique thing is that they make communities, you know, never in the past were there schizophrenic communities where they shared delusions and built them up and made it almost religious to the point where young people are able to find communities, find conspiracy communities and establish almost um, pre-made synthetic delusions. They don't mm-hmm. even need to have, um, they might have a predilection toward an issue toward a a kind of schizophrenic taste, but it's the internet, which is accelerating this process in a very powerful way. And, uh, you know, Victor Tosk, who I wanted, uh, I thought we could talk about, you know, Tosk's influence on Deleuze, I find very interesting. And it makes it such a good, um, a good joke, like um, Deleuze's take on machines versus Tosk's almost very frightened take on machines. And Nick Lenz, Techno-capital accelerationism is a really good um, culmination of Tosk's ideas, where we essentially see that schizophrenic fantasies of technology are what become the real technology of the future. Interesting. Why don't you spell that out a little bit more? Back that out. Who is Tosk? What what is he all about? And what is the larger narrative you're thinking about here? So Victor Tosk um, is one of the Earth, and he was kind of one of the many, one of Freud's kind of uh, son figures and heirs. And he had this kind of strange three-way relationship with Lou Salome and Freud. And he was this prodigious young man. He was a lawyer, a doctor, and a psychoanalyst. And he developed, um, and he was one of the really the only people who cared about schizophrenics at the time. He paid attention to their delusions when, you know, Freud was not, not particularly interested. And he came to find that there was a archetype in schizophrenic delusions, and it was the influencing machine. And the influencing machine is essentially what I was describing the gang stalkers believing in, a directed energy weapon. There are all of these various um, ways that it's typified, but it's essentially a very complex machine which directs electricity, psychic waves, energy, whatever, onto the targeted individual and is able to give them horrible physical sensations and mental sensations, but they deny that it's mental. They deny that it's schizophrenic. They say that this machine is real. And as for what I'm seeing as this kind of techno capital acceleration and hyperstitional becoming, um, Wi-Fi would have been a schizophrenic delusion and was a schizophrenic delusion up until it was real. And that we can see the path of technological development uh, predicated by schizophrenic delusions of what would become real. 
Right. So another reason why we need to pay attention to memes and conspiracies, because we are literally getting hints and glimpses at what the collective unconscious is moving toward. That's a really good point, because you also see notions of some sort of influencing machine going mainstream now with kind of the mainstream uh, appearance of conspiracy theories that even kind of educated higher status people now believe like the Jeffrey Epstein case in particular, seems to be a kind of uh, real turning point in which now everyone seems to believe in some type of secret hidden influence machine that's unaccountable and untraceable to some degree. And you also see it with, with the Russian plots, Mm -hmm. right? This kind of fixation on Russia as pulling the strings of American elections you know, but all the data suggests that it's probably overblown, the, the, this fear and anxiety about Russia manipulating elections. I mean, there, there's some data points to support something like that. I mean, most throughout time, like a lot of countries have tried to uh, mess around with other countries' elections, but there's really no good evidence that Russia played any really significant systematic role in uh, really kind of uh, shaping any American electoral outcomes. And yet quite educated people, mainstream people talk about this very seriously, uh, and and so you can kind of is that how you read it? The, this kind of schizophrenic uh, influencing machine is now entering the mainstream. I think another aspect that we need to see and why this happened. But yes, I do see it. Um, but we need to look at like um, JFK and nine eleven, two moments where America is castrated on the big screen, and these are what produce these mass popular influencing conspiracies and the uh, Tosk's idea of of the influencing machine is that it is a projection of the genital. It is a a projection of genital uh, productivity and power onto this other object. And so like America, when we were castrated live on TV with the death of JFK and with 9-11, we then project it. Oh, you know, our genital power is still there. It's just in this, it's in, um, it's in Saudi Arabia or it's in our own deep state government, which decided mm. to act like it castrated us. Like we mm. people are losing our energy and it's all being stolen, you know, just like um, Burroughs talks about these um, Nova, which are alien spirits, which come and make terrible things happen to steal the energy. They take all the suffering and pain and they eventually try to destroy the world. And mm. this is echoed, you know, I find, um, Deleuze's Burroughsian techniques very important as well. That's interesting what you said about the genital. You know what that made me kind of think of is it made me think of the incel as a category, as as a kind of phantasmic image in a lot of people's minds that I think is quite kind of dissociated from any sort of empirical reality. But this this image we have of the incel and especially the incel's relation to mass murder and mass shootings. Do you do is it possible to see in the meme of the incel, this kind of fear of sort of suppressed kind of male phallic power or something like that? I think it might be a recognition of the impotence of modernity. I think mm. people see in their own suffering, their own impotence, they see these individuals as kind of like accelerated um impotent individuals people who are like really taking the brunt of modernity like yeah i i I work a shit job i don't have any money but at least i have a girlfriend and then you take that away you take maybe the one thing that people value 
and then you get a person who's a mass murdering killer. It's just, uh, you know, it's just behind the surface of everybody that I think that fear, I think the incel, because you know, it's another really important um, part of the incel meme are all of the horror stories, which are shared and it's either a mother or a sister. And it's like, Oh my God, I think my son is an incel or I think my brother is an incel or, Oh, this creepy kid I go to school with. I think he's an incel. Just like you might've thought somebody was a witch or um, some kind of hidden sorcerer or even a gang stalker. Like this person is, you know, this one is an evil one. That's an easy way of taking and, and taking a collective and shared suffering and directing it onto scapegoats. Right. I could see that. That's fascinating. Now that, now that you kind of lay it out this way, I'm starting to see it everywhere or one, one can see it everywhere, everywhere in particular, like, you know how it's very common on the internet for people to be indignant about, Oh, I'm getting death threats and I'm getting, I'm getting attacked by everyone. You know, it's like the, the internet is out to get me. <laughs> you know, like you do, you do kind of see this kind of schizophrenic paranoiac formation uh, kind of more and more. Actually, I think you're right about that. And that's, I think, the idea of the schizophrenic acceleration like we have. And I, there's another interesting idea. I think it's, uh, I haven't read the book, but I've listened about the book. Um, but Thomas Sheridan had a, has a book called Sorcery. And um, I learned about it on the Mysterious Universe podcast. And he thinks internet trolls are literal demons. He thinks that there are literal demons and like technological entities which are actively trying to make people suffer. So we like it is like schizophrenia is becoming technological in a major way. And technology is already so liminal, so unreal that schizophrenia is capable of becoming very real. It's it's capable of influencing reality in a way that it wasn't able to before, other than in individuals who really came to the surface and killed somebody or um, wrote papers to everybody like Francis Deck is a famous schizophrenic, but he just wrote letters. Now we have schizophrenics everywhere. What do you think is the mechanism here though? Like how does this work really? How is it, how is it that technology becomes this vector through which schizophrenic paranoiac delusions become real in a sense, they become actual and, and material. They move from being just a fear to actually being a material reality like, why does technology produce that? How does that work? Do you have a kind of read on that? So this is through um, synchronicity and through land's hyperstition, where you have a meeting. Of, so w- when we accept that the unconscious is relative, that it's not, and it's not just temporally relative, but spatially relative, um, and then you take the internet, which directs all of the individual's unconscious toward these simple images and simple ideas. They're bound to become synchronistic, just like tarot cards have a profound effect on the individual because it intensifies unconsciousness on that uh, focused object. It's the same for the internet. You get so many people devoting a more powerful than we had previously thought unconscious mind toward a fear and it becomes real through hyperstitional um, retroactivity. Okay. Right. So like the internet troll who we are now thinking of as a literal demon 
is in some sense, this random person who just decides one day to start being needlessly, pointlessly aggressive and cruel, let's say, uh, logs on the internet to just be really nasty and to fuck with people's heads. They're doing this in some sense because the already circulating fears and anxieties that are kind of uh, surrounding them make them now actually have a real kind of drive to become this kind of demonic character that in the previous stage people were only fearing. But because everyone is fearing it, there it kind of calls into being people who actually start assuming that identity. How bold one gets when one is sure of being loved. It's the same way, you know, it's the same for hate. You know, these people who realize that they're, even if it's unconscious, they realize that there is a, a type which they fit. They are empowered with this kind of alien other energy. This archetypal pattern is uh, imbued into them. Fascinating. So I imagine this is where your interest in the occult comes in, right? I guess the the more intelligent and, in my view, kind of understandable or defensible interests in the occult. I'm not. I'm not. I've never been into the occult myself as a kind of more hard nosed social scientific person, but I have known enough smart people who are interested in the occult to have a at least a charitable understanding of it as as essentially entering in here, where um, there are weird ways in which kind of non-rational creative processes can produce their own real consequences in a reliable way. Is that where your interest in the occult comes in? Or maybe you could put that in your own words. It's, it's absolutely that. I don't, I certainly am not interested in any of this. Like, I mean, the aesthetics of it are, I think at this point, drab. I'm not interested in it for any reason that is not effective. And I think that's what Aleister Crowley embodies, effective magic, no longer brought down by uh, pointless secrecy and aestheticism. It is getting to its most effective and rational irrationalism. Right. And so do you see memes as essentially kind of sorcer sorcery devices or how, how, how do you read the connection between memes and the occult? Uh, meme magic is you know the whole focus meme magic is real i would say it's one of the most real magics because you know um and even in these occult communities you see a lot of the idea that like oh our modern magic is so boring i wish we could have the magic that indians i mean or native americans or africans had like it's so effective because it's natural that's what meme magic is meme magic is the like primitive natural sorcery of the internet individual. It is unconscious and it's just, it's effortless. It's an effortless creative process. Hmm. Right. So you, you get a look at magic at its, at its best. Really. We're getting a look at the most interesting creative forces now. Interesting. Do you remember the case of slender man? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a video on it. Oh, do you? I didn't catch that one. What's your take on that? I found that, I always found that case very interesting. If you wouldn't mind, I could do it if you want, but maybe uh, give the give the listeners a review of the of the basics of the case, and then I would love to hear your take on it because I I was I, I became very fascinated with with that when it first happened. I can give the summary if you'd prefer. So, like the plot of the Slenderman? 
or yeah, give them, Marvel give Horror? everyone a, a recap on just like what in particular with the, uh, the murder, uh, the, of the young, the young girls. Oh yes. Like, yeah. Of the young uh, girls. Example. Um, so Slender Man is essentially this, this figure of anonymous horror and panic in the sense of like a satyr. Um, and we really just get to look at his modern existence. Like he haunts a town or whatever and children go into the woods and he appears in old photographs and he kills children or kidnaps children. But two teenage girls were obsessed with it because on the internet, there were these very intensive, nigh religious, um, creepypasta communities, um, dead set upon integrating these ideas into their own world, you know, making horror real. And so they decided, Oh, we're going to murder our friend to offer her to Slenderman and then we'll be accepted. And they, they, they do, they stab her up, but she survives. And very impressively, like she gets to uh, like her house and she gets to the hospital and survives. And she'd been stabbed terribly. Um, really impressive on her part. And I'm really happy that she survived because um, who knows Perhaps Slenderman would have come about. <laughs> Maybe if it was an effective sacrifice, that that meme would have become all the more powerful. But I see it as um, I don't know if you ever read Arthur Machen's story, The Great God Pan. Uh, no, I have Wonderful, and it describes almost identical situations. It's really good. Uh, one of H.P. Lovecraft's favorites, and hmm. it allows us to kind of see the archetype at play, which is that of a being in the woods capable of making people go mad and which focuses on young girls and makes them his, uh, play right. things court child actually led to a case where young girls went into the woods and one of them tried to kill the other. <laughs> exactly. It's very, I shouldn't be laughing because it's horrifying, but it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a good documentary out there. If people are interested in the story. It's it's a fascinating case. Uh, sad and scary, but you said that the girl actually did live. Yes, yes, she did. Oh, that's right. Okay, I forgot. I, th- I forgot that. That's good. That's good. Um, here and here's one more aspect of that's really important. Please, um, when I identify him with Pan and with a nature god of horror, um, that so Pan and Dionysus are already very closely related, and. I identify Pepe with the Dionysian man, uh, the green man. But what we really need to look at is the original, um, like persona or imago of 4chan, which is a man in a suit with a blank green face. We're getting a look at 4chan embodied in Slenderman and his tendrils, you know, it's all. And I also found it in the video as kind of a metaphor for the internet itself where you walk into a dark woods that you don't understand and these tendrils arriving out of anonymity grasp you and you are pulled into this kind of senseless natural horror only it's a degree removed it's an unnatural digital horror wow wow yeah that's really interesting have you ever um looked at the case of QAnon? <laughs> I have a really funny story about that. So Please. I was um, at the Joker with my girlfriend. We went to see, it was like a, um, a kind of special reshowing cause it had done well. And we just sit down next to this kind of like maybe middle-aged couple. And I'm like, Oh yeah, 
I did a video because they were saying, oh, what did you think about this movie? And I, being like a narcissistic jerk that I am, I'm like, oh, I did a review of this movie already. And he's like, oh, and you do it on YouTube? I'm like, yeah, I have a channel called Meme Analysis. And he's like, oh, you like memes? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, what do you think about QAnon? And I'm like, oh, I, I like it. It's really impressive because I thought it was impressive that it spawned this big um, – the big protests in Washington, just like literally a 4chan meme brought, you know, thousands and thousands of people together. But then he's like, yeah, in this movie, the Joker, Bruce Wayne is played by a woman. Bruce, like that's one of the conspiracies that is in the QAnon <laughs> community heavily. Is that Actors who are men, actors who play men are really secretly women because the deep state occult filmmakers are trying to confuse people and make them believe that androgyny is normal and real, but that all the actors are really transgender. <laughs> like, huh. That's a big part of it. That's a really big part of it, actually. And then after the movie, he was like, did you see um, that six-sided gold star? Did you see in like, and I was like, okay, I got to leave. I can't. <laughs> you know, very difficult. You dip into madness and it, it'll, uh, it'll infect you. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's probably the third time in this conversation where your analysis of, of meme culture has veered into weird anxieties around kind of male virility and mm. and the phallic. So I, I definitely can see that there's something going on there where, yeah, a, a certain anxieties we have around male male virility or I, I don't know exactly how to put it. Maybe you have a, a better uh, way to summarize it, but a lot of this stuff mm. seems to go back to anxieties about e emasculation or something like that. I guess you said before that you your know, theory think, is it's kind of because of the generalized impotence of modern man or something like that. If we could take, um, now, and I'm not, I'm not like men's rights activist by any means, but I'm sure <laughs> about the concept of masculinity. Um, mm -hmm. you take the, the great Nietzsche quote, like you go to war with good men and you will find only evil enemies. And you can apply that to a kind of, um, digital or social realm as well. It's not just uh, in literal war, but people who perceive themselves as good men and who are definitely not nearly as violent as they could be. And we get a lot of um, pointed social critique aimed at like, oh, like normal white men. And, and of course they're going to strike out horribly. And I think that is what a lot of conspiracy communities focus on. And a lot of the memes are becoming, especially political memes, are products of conspiracies on both sides. It's not mm -hmm. like a legitimate politics. It's not at all. It's not interacting with anything real. It's entirely like this, this shared fantasy. And it's war. It's just like you take kids that were inspired by like Harry Potter and these um, – popular communities and video games and toys and stuff. And what do you expect that they're going to be able to understand? Um, they're going to be able to understand politics. No, it's going to be fictionalized. And that's why you get, you know, this, this big fight between, I don't know, green frog men and colorful haired girls. It's, it's ridiculous. Right. Well, frog Twitter says that they memed Donald Trump into the presidency, right? I mean, you could debate that, that but it's an that interesting is idea. Really true. But yeah, you, you buy that charger. I'm going to be back in like two. Seconds. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, yes, I do buy. Interesting. I like the uh, symbolism in the background here. Scary star, a mannequin hand, 
And is that is that Dr. Freud figure in the background? It's Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud bogglehead. <laughs> I got that for 50 cents. It's a wonderful deal. Nice. Nice. So did you want to tell me more about your read on Donald Trump being uh, memed into the presidency? So Keck, I think, is one of the most powerful meme gods that we've had yet. Um, you take, so Pepe, I analyzed Pepe very early on. And I remember when Angela Nagel put out Kill All Normies, I was like, darn, uh, she got to, you know, but I was like, I was like a young teenager. I'm not going to like get some book published, or at least when I did, I wasn't going to. But I viewed the same dialectic of um, energetic forces at play with Pepe and Wojak. And Pepe, being the green man, being Dionysian, um, you take collective furious energy and you direct it toward um, one individual. And keep we have to keep in mind, I think Donald Trump is a wizard. Um, because, you know, he talks about it in Art of the Deal, too. He says he's read young and that he always uses the book Psychological Types. Um, I think he is a vessel. He's a pure vessel. He has made himself a vessel for collective energy. And he just does his best to embody um, chaos. There is no, I really honestly don't think there's a political aim for it. I really think that we are – he's an accelerationist magician who is increasing personal magical power it's not about money it's not about russia it's not about i don't know whatever the bullshit people think it is and everybody that has an opinion about him is wrong everybody everybody that thinks they've caught him it's always fictional it's always an attempt at pinning down something which is inherently intangible and so all of the every that's why you can have a million editorials that take him down a million times a day, every day for years, and it never sticks. He is not just Teflon coated. There is nothing to coat. There is nothing to put Teflon on. There's no him. Hmm. So that's just him. But as for Keck, um, in the the way that Keck was communicated with, like with um, like dubs and trips, it struck me as very similar to Kabbalah. And one of the popular depictions of Keck was as Hermes Trismegistus, who is the great hermetic Kabbalistic magician. So I find that um, Keck did have the characteristics and the real influence of a um, fairly medium-powered magical god. Like, I'm not putting him up close with anybody huge, but he certainly had major sway on culture for a very... uh, brief but important piece of time and created um that song chatelet that was really interesting hmm. you know about how so, um, oh god just the, the, no it's all right it was just a song that had a lot of um coincidences with um the appearance of keck okay now what about you mentioned wojack i feel like wojack is kind of the under-recognized or under, or let's say less understood, less, less ubiquitous kind of player in, in this particular meme plex. Uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of people know of Pepe the frog, but Wojak is a little bit more obscure. Could you, could you tell us what is your read on Wojak? 
And for people who don't know, I'll call up an image while you're talking. To me, he, you're wrong. The truth will live. This pentagram is very cool. It's made of wood. But Wojak. <laughs> oh, I wasn't dissing it. I was just commenting. No, no, no. Somebody did. Somebody in uh, in the oh. chat did. Okay. I will destroy them now. I'm going to curse them. But <laughs> no, Wojak <laughs> is Apollonian. He is like a pure Apollonian. Um, he lives within these fantasies and dreams. Like there's a great meme of um, Wojak at a party and it's him hating everything going on. He's bored. His feet hurt. He can never interact with people. He is stuck within these illusions. He's always uh, killing himself. Wojak is the one who is always turned inward. He always hates himself or, um, you know, is idiotic in a way that Pepe is like virulent, angry, uh, murderous, and unaffected by, by the world. Wojak is completely affected. He's the subject of the world. And he has become essentially just the rather than Apollonian as he was, he's become something more. He has become the purest self insert, which is why you get um, like in the NPC, you get everyone else. You can even recognize Wojak in the other. Um, in angry soy boys, you get again, it's, it's, but there are Wojaks that you identify with yourself, such as the born to feel the ear cutting the mask. We are often, um, hiding ourselves or making ourselves to suffer and go through life while the other is usually very um, idiotic. Right. Uh, so Wojak kind of represents that part of us that submits to just kind of dead institutional drudgery. And uh, it's a kind of sad uh, image of kind of our, our atrophied spirit. Absolutely. And this is what is left Apollonian art. It's the body now, which has become a sculpture stuck, static and terrible. And I think you could even say, and this is a somewhat Nietzschean line here is that it's sort of like the, it's what happens if you're too Apollonian for too long, right? You kind of, your spirit starts to atrophy. You, you can't just be Apollonian. You can't just be the kind of modern rationalist kind of prag pragmatic. Mm, how should I put it? You know, kind of well-civilized modern man who just, tries to make sense of everything, tries to be uh, loyal to norms and tries to be a good citizen in this kind of always instrumentally rational way. If you try to do that, then you start to look like this guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, Wojak and yeah, the, this is Wo the product. Wojak and the NPC, the non-player character, th these are essentially equivalents. Is that right? Oh, I would say that it's okay. So that NPC might see themselves as one of the other Wojaks, but you are only able to see other NPCs in general. So it's uh. kind of like, you know, I think it's the way that, I mean, I am not necessarily of the opinion that everybody is that level of um, mindless swine. It could be. I could be wrong, but I hope that I'm not. I hope that people are not just these NPCs. But the view, and certainly in all politics, is that people are NPCs. So it's a kind of politicized view of humanity. Okay, right, right. If you had to guess, what percentage of humanity do you think is is NPC? Like, do you take that literally? I mean, in your kind of occult perspective, I could see someone like you 
taking that somewhat literally the possibility that there are some human beings out there who are essentially uh, just just blank non-agents. Do you, do, you, do you buy that at all? Or There's a great, um, one of the great occultists is Gurdjieff. And he has this brilliant quote, which is like, um, if you ever walk down the street and you look these people in the eyes, you will see nothing. You will go mad with horror, seeing the emptiness of people. Um, I think that culture and like capitalist realism is aiding in this becoming NPC, but I think it's a repression of themselves. I don't think that they were born NPCs or born blank slates, but rather that they have allowed themselves to become this, to be accepted by culture. Okay. That makes more sense to me. Yeah. I, I could buy something like that. I think a bit more easily. Um, there's a good comment here. Actually, Kristen says, I wonder what you think about this, Chris. Uh, Wojak dovetails into the boomer, doomer, coomer wave we've been having. Maybe you could give us a, a bit of a live meme analysis of the boomer, doomer, coomer wave. What's going on with that? Also, that's my girlfriend. I'm just saying hi, Kristen. Thank oh, you cool. Hey, Kristen. <laughs> boomer. Okay. So the boomer is um, 30-year-old boomer. It's a really good example. And I really love the boomer. Because in a way, I feel very boomerish sometimes. I feel like the boomer is somebody who is overjoyed with the world as it is. He's somebody who accepts the world. He's, he's the yay saying animal of Nietzsche. He is not in denial. He is not suffering. He says, like, yeah, here it is. Yup. Sit. That's all he does. Um, Interesting. So pos- positive take here on the boomer meme. Interesting. Absolutely. It is the Zoomer who despises the Boomer, the Zoomer who is miserable. They believe in horror. They believe in um, all of this kind of idiocy. They believe in um, politics. They believe in either that there is a future, that there's not a future. But always it comes down to these, these people, these Boomers, they're preventing us from doing everything we want when obviously they are preventing themselves. The boomer is not a real blockage, though people desperately want there to be. They want there to be the other. They want they want Jews. They want reptilians. They want the deep state. They want Republicans or Democrats. They want there to be a boomer. They can say, no, we got to kill them. We got to get rid of them. They are the ones who are controlling us. There's not. The doomer is the one who takes the black pill and says, there's no hope. Boomers are in control. We're doomed. There's Amazing. nothing to do. I have not heard this take that, that, bo- the that boomers are based and it's the, it's the zoomers who are cringe. Boomers are based. It is. It's true. Zoomers are really, really yeah, that, cringe. That's because I'm at least, I'm a, the ones that I see who do the best are the ones who accept a bit of boomer into themselves. They were the ones who are like, you know, <laughs> boomer pill zoomers. <laughs> yes, exactly. The 30 year old boomer, the one who is like young enough but just says yes to life. But the Coomer, really, really important. Um, and my video on it has had a lot of really positive feedback. I think a lot of people, this one is especially relatable. And also, um, so do you mind actually, I'm going to skip the Coomer for a second to get onto the importance of these memes. As you wish. Um, you can see there's a very popular meme right now, which is like the Doomer guy talking to the girl. The Doomer talks to the girl and it's, it's falling apart. 
things are falling apart. The image is becoming subject to all of these really mad, surreal reinterpretations. And it's just mocking how ridiculous it is. And it's comparing it to Rage Faces from 2011. It's like becoming so silly. They're showing Wojak is really just like Fa or um, uh, Forever Alone. It's all the same. It's all junk. It's all relatable. But what does relatable mean, really? Relatable content is very different. This current relatable content, the Doomer, the Coomer, the Zoomer, the Boomer, different from the Rage Faces of 2011. And it's because the people who made Rage Faces were people who were living. They were really alive and they were depicting themselves. Whereas now we take um, all of these archetypes, all these Wojak archetypes, we project ourselves onto them. We identify in a projective way rather than um, making an image which represents ourselves as rage faces were. So you get a ton of guys who are like, haha, I'm a doomer. That's me. That's me. And they watch all the Wojak videos and they think, gee, that's just like me. Just like a, a teenage girl looks at Slytherin or Hufflepuff and says, wow, just like me, or the Zodiac, just like me. It's entirely projective nonsense uh, and very dangerous because they are living as these kind of um, buffoons. They, they give up all their individuality unto an image. So real quick, maybe for people who don't even know, because I have to be honest, I actually don't know this one extremely well. Like I don't know the basic meaning of Coomer. Doomer mm. sounds kind of self-explanatory, but could you real quick just break down the basic straightforward meaning yeah. of Boomer and Coomer? The Coomer is the, the Coomer is the easiest one because the Coomer is really just a psychological entity, which is real, a very real one. Wilhelm Reich is describing the Coomer, you know, like about a hundred years ago already. Um, but it is the individual who masturbates excessively to pornography. Coom has come. They are excessive masturbators and they lose all sense. If you would go to the one that's um, top right, not the face, but the caption, the 20 year old Coomer. Um, this one or, oh, uh, okay. or that one? Uh, no, no. The, uh, the next one, my bad. This one. Yes. If you can, or uh, it's all right. Um, either way, I, I know what it means. Okay, I yeah. haven't memorized <laughs> But it says, like, they don't think about politics. They don't even know what No Nut November is. Uh, they have no interest in the news. They don't know what's going on in the world. Um, they are entirely narcissistic. They have no relation to the outside. They're internalizing themselves entirely. And Wilhelm Reich viewed the excessive masturbator as somebody who essentially infantilized themselves and retreated into Oedipal fantasy. And in this character of the Coomer, we get a perfect look at that, at the one who is essentially, you know, a non-existent person. They're really just a body possessed by this um, perverse will to masturbate to bizarre pornography. Okay, That's so the other Coomer, Okay, so Coom, Coom means come. Now, why are Boomer, Doomer, and Coomer even put in one set, though? That's a good question, other than the fact that they rhyme. <laughs> well, that's all that there is to it. It's just rhyming. And in fact, a lot of the memes, a lot of the, the kind of parody boomers, they just they just make it something silly. Like there's like Vroomer, who's just a kid <laughs> who loves 
act like he's driving. It's that aspect of it is really just um, natural. It's just the natural product of memes that rhyme. I see. I see. Huh. So I, I'm I'm curious now a little bit. Maybe we'll shift gears. That was an awesome and fun and illuminating romp through a bunch of memes and and your analytical style, much of which I found quite convincing and and uh, useful for what it's worth. I'd like to, if if it's okay with you, I'd, it'd be interesting to transition a little bit, shift gears into. I'm curious about kind of your process and kind of the logistics of your operation, your YouTube channel, and and kind of what you're trying to do uh, a little bit more concretely. So, for instance, like. Do you have, what, what is your method? What is your kind of like every day or every week kind of process or workflow for following memes and keeping your finger on the pulse? So I am reliant definitely on a bunch of people. Uh, a bunch of friends of mine will bring me memes. Uh, very reliant on friends. And where do you hang out online? Like what, what, what spaces do you interact with these friends? Discord channels or what? Well, actually, a lot of the friends are in real life. Like a lot of my real life friends are, you know, out there looking and just we have, you know, group chats where we share memes. And I just uh, a lot of Instagram for the friends in real life, but um, primarily Reddit, uh, Instagram. Uh, I already said that 4chan. Um, but I also pay attention to pornography trends and specifically like um, in hentai or cartoons. Those mm-hmm. are equally as important. But I take, so I essentially have like made my, I've made my unconscious um, analytic. So just like, it's, it's horrible. It's like what Nietzsche describes as this kind of Socratic illness. Like I can't enjoy a meme. I can't laugh. I, well, some of them I can laugh at, but most of them it's like, this is this, this is this, this is this, this is this. It's just become, you know, second sight. I see a meme or an image and it's like, this relates to this. We can do a video on it. Um, it's really easy. The memes are so simple that if you have a basic um, system, which is re- really um, the tarot cards, I, I utilize Aleister Crowley's symbolic um, like category. Like he has like catalogs of symbols in the book 777 and the book of Thoth. I just use that a lot because you get all the animals, colors, all that, and you can immediately, um, you know, utilize it. I used to put a tarot card in every video to show, like, this meme has this energy. And then, of course, Earl Young, um, I read a lot, and a lot of what people find tedious about Young's writing, I find exciting, which is, like, all the different stories which show the same pattern. People find that to be, like, oh, why is he just, you know, repeating himself and repeating all these stories? But that's what matters. That's the proof that there even are these archetypes, that there is anything to it. And memes I see as that proof. I could happily go through a thousand memes cataloging and categorizing them if I could show, yeah, there's there's an energetic flow in this direction and it is occurring unconsciously in people who have no relation. That to me mm. is amazing, interesting stuff. Mm. And how many videos do you make like a week or a month or what's your what's your routine? We make about one a week. We film two a week, uh, maybe sometimes three. And it's just my friend Josh. Uh, he edits it and he films it with me. And we just will get together. We'll film a few videos and we'll talk about it throughout the week. And then we just put it out. And lately, though, I've been enjoying live streaming as well because I like to talk actively about it. It's definitely, I'm 
a verbal thinker a lot of the time. I do my best um, in conversation. Right, right. And think do you – I, I agree. I love live streams. I just like the the, the, the ease of it, the fun of it, the, the kind of easygoing nature of it. And not having to edit is always a huge plus. Just fun talking with people. And I agree. It's a good way to just basically generate thoughts and, and ideas and develop them. Do you have other – parts of your kind of internet content system or is it just YouTube? Uh, sometimes on Reddit, but I don't, I, uh, I'm hoping to do some books soon. Cool. Uh, I'd like to do one on meme magic and then one on meme analysis itself. And then hopefully one on modern dating and sexuality. <laughs> nice. Do you want to give it, why don't you give us some dating tips? Uh, preview the book for us. So, I'm going to start out with there. There's a personality test, a very strange one, which was created by this, this, uh, suspected murderer, Lacanian <laughs> named Dr. Maurice. And the test is called desperately seeking analysis. And he whittles down the basic personality type to a few central questions. It is look at me or don't look at me. I am it or I'm not it, and I have it, or I don't have it. With that, you can tell everything about a person's childhood with ease, apparently. And I find it actually pretty uh, pretty useful, and that it corresponds to Jung's types. So if you want to date well, immediately understand the person's childhood. There's a meme which is like, oh, dating is just finding people whose, par- uh, whose early childhood trauma matches with yours. I say yes. Eliminate everything get straight to the kind of cruel, cold, like, do we mesh psychologically? If not, I don't care. Get straight to a a kind of violent, romantic way of life, which is we are fated, we are destined, our lives have brought us here. If you want to date well, get rid of this idea of dating, uh, sharing pop culture interests. It's all garbage. It's all meaningless nihilism. And you're going to hate one another, inevitably. If you want to have love, you have to have an astute sense of romance in everything that you do. Give meaning to your life. If you don't live a meaningful life, you don't deserve a partner. You need to have a meaningful life, which is going somewhere. And I agree with you. Like a lot of people I've seen critique you for your monogamy and for your interest in partnerships. Completely wrong. My girlfriend and I have been together for five years and we have produced like a ton of great stuff. We make comic books together, films. She's an integral part of meme analysis itself. We're hoping to do um, a branch off called Meme Museum, where we analyze the kind of artistic component because um, the artistic component is extremely viable as well. Um, Very important. And no, we, we both led each other toward greater progress if your partner is not leading you toward progress, what's the point? If it's not a kind of magical creative relationship or destructive, it doesn't matter as long as it's doing something. I just despise this, this nihilistic and it's not just, it's not, I'm, I'm going on and on, but it's, it's, it's important. Okay. I like it. Like so much romance has become nihilistic. It's like, Oh, we just fuck well, or, Oh, you know, I can bear this person. I can survive with them because I don't hate them. Like I hate everybody else. Come on, come on. There has to be more to life than that. There has to be more than this dull mediocrity. 
I am not interested in mediocrity. Right on, right on. So you were saying essentially that to date you should skip all the small talk, all the kind of fluffy stuff that people do to kind of feel each other out and kind of like on the first date, on the first meeting with someone, you cut right to like three or four brutally incisive questions and you either have a kind of deep connection that kicks off passionately and wildly and productively or you don't and then you leave it. Is that essentially what you were saying? I would say with a bit of hope, there would, or I guess even a bit of uh, dread, there'd be a website which asks you these questions and sets you up with people who are similarly inclined. And then on the first meeting, you should do something interesting. Um, and, but you said it's only like three questions and they're very obscure, short questions. Like, do you have it or do you not have it? Like, that's literally what, you, what you're supposed to ask? That's all that's necessary. That's really intriguing. It's especially intriguing because you said the guy who designed that test is a Lacanian, but isn't Lacan's isn't one of Lacan's contentions that in the sexual or romantic relationship, kind of both people are pretending to have something that they don't have in some sense that neither neither party has what what it is that they're offering, and that's in fact what love is. Yes, but why not make it easy? <laughs> even if it's even if it's inevitably nothing, and I don't think that it's inevitably nothing. I'm not a Lacanian by any means, but this guy's test okay. it's really interesting, and it, I find it effective but i'm not i have very little sympathy with lacanians but perhaps it's just my being an idiot or something no no it's it's just intriguing I, i'll definitely look into that that guy and that that's a very fascinating test well, um, link. it's like really and it's made in like web 2.0 like it's really brightly colored and strange really weird so how old are you i'm curious how old do you think i am um, sorry, I have to look over at the screen. Uh, I don't know. 27? 20. 20. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, uh, at your age, uh, estimating above is a, is a, is a compliment. It means you look more mature than you, than you might be. <laughs> what, what, what do you do to pay the bills? I'm curious. I live at home. I'm not, <laughs> I, uh, I'm hoping, to, but I am, um, working on films. So. Um, that's cool. Yeah. I was just curious. No, so, so yeah, you're young, you're 20, you still live with your parents. That's fine. Uh, so you kind of are doing the, the, your creative work and your intellectual work kind of full time at the moment. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. And so do you, what are your larger, I'd love to hear kind of your larger vision for where, where does the Chris Gabriel meme analysis empire go in the future? Like what's the, what's the longer play? Are you trying to hustle to make this something kind of more financially sustainable or what's, what's your kind of vi- vision or model there? Well, what I'd ultimately like to do and very soon would be to offer meme analysis as a kind of process of, you know, self-discovery in the digital era. Okay. Uh, It certainly has individual ability and I have a methodology for applying it. Uh, I'm kind of just waiting on the right people to be interested and then I'll offer it to them or, you Mm. know, they'll come to me and I'll give it to them. So as a... I'm not going to give it, I'm not going to call it the T word because I'm not going to get some government, I'm not going to get like anybody glowing, you know, any glow in the darks to track it down. Like, oh, this is, you're calling it something it's not. But I think you're not offering therapy or some sort of formal thing like that. But it will allow people to understand techno neuroses specifically, Um, not real neurosis. That's the other aspect. Like, we're not going to get to the root of anything. We're going to really just excise a lot of the imaginary. 
get rid of a lot of what is nonsense in that individual's life so that they can then have real problems right at the forefront and then go to a real doctor and deal with it. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, th- there's honestly, so, there's more, there's more and more of this kind of stuff that it goes and it, in different areas in different kind of pockets of society. It's called different things, right? Like in, in the business world, it might be called like mentoring or it's called like coaching or whatever, but there's tons of this type of stuff blowing up because people are so fucking confused about how to live and how to do things. And how like, there's no, guidebooks anymore for how to navigate contemporary culture our parents didn't teach us because they didn't know everything's moving so rapidly that like people coming of age and pretty much at every step of life nowadays in the 21st century and 2020 and and beyond pretty much everyone at every stage of life is utterly clueless about how they should proceed because there's no there's no guidebooks anymore like all the traditional wisdom seems totally obsolete and 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 our parents are seem incapable of teaching us or things just move too fast for that kind of parental intergenerational teaching to 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 really make sense or to work functionally so yeah there's a huge demand for people who just want to talk with other people who can give them some type of guidance or help or um or or any type of support in any number of different directions that they're trying to pursue so i think um i mean it's really easy to make fun of the whole like coaching industry or or whatever like the the self-help gurus and 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 all of these kinds of dismissive labels that are assigned to to these burgeoning kind of sectors of the economy but it makes total sense you're going to see more and more of this kind of stuff and i think it's going and it just makes sense so i think it's actually a pretty sensible idea for you to think in 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 this register that's why to some extent I'm sympathetic toward Peterson. Um, mm. like he's putting people in the right direction toward Carl Jung and Nietzsche. Like maybe he has the wrong interpretation. Maybe he has some silly ideas, but he's, he's giving you fairly good advice and a fairly good, meaningful way of life. And I think that's absolutely vital. But on the other um, side, beyond just this coaching, but in that um, stew of chaos, which we all reside, I have a more magical and artistic aim as well, which is to uh, substantiate art as something more than it has been in the past. Like rather than, cause we have so many people and I, and I, will, I would almost say every young person that I know is an artist or make something and they are creative. The problem is that we are in this time where anybody who's creative you know, everybody's doing the same stuff. And oftentimes it's very um, low quality because they you know, stick with, I don't know, they draw anime or they draw cartoons or they just draw movies. They're, you know, they only draw characters. There's, there's never any understanding of art. And I say, okay, yes, we should return to the classics. That's a fundamental aspect of any kind of productive aestheticism, but even more so, we need to see what art can really be And in the Nietzschean sense, we need new philosophers. Um, I would say people like Gabriel D'Annunzio or L. Ron Hubbard, people who are able, who are artists who make reality, the canvas, they create fictions in which others can reside. We need artists to take on this massive responsibility to give life meaning to people. We, we cannot live in meaninglessness. We need artists in particular, to establish a place where people can live with meaning and will not die of, they won't wither away in the chaos. I think that's a really important goal is magic as art. Right. That's interesting. I mean, I've, I've, I've developed some ideas and written some stuff around this idea of the semantic apocalypse, which 
uh, R. Scott Backer once introduced. And I've also written about this concept of reality forking. And it, it seems to me that in some sense, it is falling into our laps, whether we like it or not, the kind of obligation to reconstitute what reality even is. Uh, and so, you know, one might hear what you're saying and say, oh, so this guy, Chris, is telling us to start, you know, crazy Scientology cults. But I think it's actually it's it's not that at all. It's it's at least the way I'm I'm hearing what you're saying. And in my own register, it's more like the centralized reality that in the 20th century, most of us have relied on and we've assumed it to be there. It's rapidly disintegrating. And so now whether we like it or not, it's falling to particular local cultures, uh, particular subcultures to essentially reconstitute that creatively. And it's intrinsically creative There's because there is no hardcore, right? It, it, the, the essence of social reality is a kind of creative, it, it's, a, it's an essentially creative process. And there's no kind of uh, hard empirical core to what a community sees as reality. It, it has to be constituted essentially with things like aesthetics, with, with the kind of imaginative uh, faculties of the human beings. And so if the centralized traditional sources of, of community support are eroding and, and uh, you could argue, I mean, I I'm of the view that they're rapidly disintegrating. And in fact, maybe they've re only recently completely collapsed that I'm more and more kind of coming to that view of the current moment that, 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 that they've recently just completely imploded. And we're just waking up to the, to the reality of this happening. Then it, I kind of have a lot of sympathy for what you're saying about, you know, seeing someone like L. Ron Hubbard in a, in a positive light, because in some sense, whether we like it or not, creative, smart people are going to have to take the initiative to create communities and to and to and to to fix and anchor some type of social reality. And that's essentially a kind of creative process in which pioneering individuals supply the aesthetics, the philosophy, the politics, and and the kind of vision around which other kind of less I, I don't I hate to be cruel, but kind of less talented, less conscientious, less intelligent, uh, less creative people are going to have to rally around because they're not going to do it for themselves with all due respect to them. So I, I kind of agree with that, with what you just said, that there's going to be more and more of this kind of highly creative cultural entrepreneurship in which reality is reconstituted creatively in multiple pockets and multiple patches, if you will. And um, we should step up to seeing that as a good thing, or at least as a kind of necessary responsibility that smart, creative people have to start painting on the canvas of social reality itself. And this is the problem with people who think that, you know, once Donald Trump's out of office, we're all back to normal. It's all going to go back to the way that it was. We're nope, never it's just the beginning. It's exactly. We're just getting started and it's going to get faster and faster. This is why I think meme analysis is important right now, because even if the hardcore, even if our bones have disintegrated and we're just masses, if we can feel where were the bones, where, like, where do the nerves center? Where is blood flowing? And if you can feel the pulse, like, oh, this is what people find meaningful. This is like verisimilitude. This is what looks real. This is what people seem to believe in. People, A lot of people believe in something that looks like this. They can smell out, oh, this would be a good aspect of reality. This looks like a good thing to have. And then begin to learn to put it together. My whole, my own if I had to reduce my politics to one thing, I would say that if we could take tarot cards and apply a social role to each of the major arcana so that you could have a archetypal, meaningful role for every individual, that would be ideal. We need to give people meaningful lives 
in which they 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 fulfill a role which has existed hopefully in the past. Hopefully there are some blueprints for a culture that is meaningful. But I think that it will ultimately be theism which saves us. It's going to be shared religions, which is why I say L. Ron Hubbard. Like he understood at the time he could smell out science fiction is what people believe in, and it paid off. He took the effectiveness of Crowley's magic, but realized that the Egyptian aesthetic was just not working, that it was sci-fi that people wanted, and it worked. We need to Mm. get people to sniff out modern aesthetics and apply interesting philosophies. People will live out, they will live it. People are desperate for meaning, absolutely clinging to what's left. That's why politics is becoming so popular and extreme, but it's really an ineffective solution. Religion is going to be it. It's going to be some type of new religion. Hmm. Okay. Good prediction. I'm curious, do you ever make memes yourself? Um, no, not really. I'm not, I'm not much for memes, but I, I make my own, I, I did like, um, in Asifal, I did a satirical writing. Like I did kind of a parody of, um, Crowley's, uh, book of lies and I make comics, you know, and memes are in some ways, comics, images, text sure. and sequential stuff. So. That's kind sure. of the direction you know, that I go in. I'm more of a traditional. I think you're the third person now in in my orbit who I've talked with who did something with this Asafale uh, journal that was kind of restarted. Uh, this dates back to uh, George Bataille and his group. I don't think there's any like particular direct lineage that I'm aware of. That'd be cool if there was, but uh, they 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 restarted a little publication under the same name. Uh, what's I. I'd I'd be curious to know more about that that team or what's going on with that. Do you know, or are you just a contributor? So believe it or not, I was fortunate enough. uh, I put out a comic book back um, earlier this year and it was about, so I don't know if you ever, um, you ever read like a Marvel comic. There's a character named Ego, the living planet. It's just a space. And about, comics much about especially superhero comics but that character specifically um i found very interesting i like jack kirby a lot so i made a comic about um what is the head of the sfl doing where is it and i viewed it as this because if you know the headless body which we see in in ancient um magical rites as well in the in the right of the headless one or the bornless right it's the creative will without it is the self without ego head is ego this is also why we're getting profile pictures which are just heads and why we're getting dowagers humps people that they they build up these humps because their heads are forward it's because the head is becoming central the ego is becoming everything we're denying the bodily self so i put out this comic book which focused on these ideas and it actually caught the eye of I would what I would describe as the remaining lineage and working with them. Um, I guess we kind of picked up that there was a exit there, that there was still a, a need for it that I kind of unconsciously picked up on what they had been putting out. There had been this kind of cur- underground current of acephalic thought. And my comic just happened to be kind of this rupture and from there, we got a lot more people, especially like a lot of people that I was involved in, uh, involved with, like uh, 
Sergio Sargura, um, Justin Mitchell, Misha Mayfair, like we all um, went with this underground current and uh, put it out. Right on, right on. Are all these people in New York? Like, do you know these people personally or it's a distributed internet thing? No, it was over the internet. Those people I, I didn't get to meet. Yeah. Did you say there actually is a, a, a direct lineage or connection to the George Bataille group? Yes. So I'm not at liberty to explain right now, but. Okay. Interesting. That's cool. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll keep my, I'll keep my eyes peeled for, for them. I always like to kind of uh, keep my finger on the pulse of what, uh, yeah, what, what people are up to, especially younger people is the, is the group uh, it's other people in their twenties. I would say the majority. Yeah. Um, Yes. I've met one, I'm uh, Eric Ortiz, um, but earlier before it had been published, um, Elliot, Elliot Rosenstock came over to New York and we hung out with uh, him, his girlfriend and Eric Ortiz, like all the the Freud stash people we met up. Okay. Interesting. Interesting to learn about the personal networks behind all these people. All right, cool. Well, I think this was really awesome. And actually my cameras just died. So that's okay. I'm going to put you, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you front and center. Let me uh, do that. Um, this was really cool. This was a really illuminating and fun romp through a bunch of memes. And uh, it was cool to hear a little bit more about, you know, behind the scenes of your your process and and what you're doing with your channel and your your future goals and all of that. Uh, so I really enjoyed this. And thank you for coming on. Was there anything else that we, you were kind of itching to talk about that we didn't get on the agenda yet? Uh, I wouldn't say in particular, but like subscribe to the channel and go and download or even order the magazine Asifal. It's wonderful. And you're going to really gain some very interesting stuff. I'd like to shout out one person who I hope is watching Matt Gillinson, his work on Oregon uh, as drama mineralis is some of the most important research into Wilhelm Reich, which has been done in a very long time. So I'd hi- and he's in uh, Asifal as well. Highly right suggested. On. Right on. Shout out to Matt Gillinson, who I met in Florida. As a matter of fact, he's a nice, very smart young man. And, uh, very cool. Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna plug all your stuff. Also, uh, there are links to, uh, all of the stuff that Chris has been talking about. You can find his YouTube channel in the description below. You can find a link to the Asafale group journal. And I think there's also a link below uh, to Chris's comics work. So, um, yeah, check out, check out Chris's stuff, subscribe to his channel. And Chris, just once again, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you being on. It was really fun to talk with you. Great. Have all a right, great man. time, Justin. Good to see you. All right. I will let you go and I'll let you know when this get posted when this gets posted to the podcast. All right. Thank you. Take right. it easy, Chris. So long. See you around the web. Bye. All right, everybody. Please do subscribe to my channel if you haven't already. If you're going to be in LA or anywhere near LA around the end of February, I'm going to be doing a live podcast on February 28th. Uh on the that's a Friday at the end of the month. And, uh, yeah, there's going to be an after party and there's also going to be a based mansion is what I'm calling it for the whole weekend after February the 28th until Sunday, March 1st, I'm going to be renting a mansion in LA. So if you want to come through, there are links in the description below, just, uh, fill out the form and let me know that you want to come. You can already buy tickets to the uh, live podcast if you want to, if you're going to be anywhere in the LA area. And, uh, yeah, that's it for now. That was really cool. I really appreciated that. It was quite interesting. I learned a lot about memes that I didn't really know. and. I found a lot of his analyses quite cogent and convincing, to be honest. So I wasn't sure what to expect. So I I enjoyed that. Uh, As always, folks, thanks for hanging out. Uh, On February 6th, I'm going to be talking with Ayla. Um, Phonetically, that is 
Ayella. You might know her from the internet. She's a kind of uh, very interesting, very smart and provocative uh, uh, young woman who uh, is known for probably her Twitter personality primarily, but she does a bunch of other kind of creative experiments. Uh, she's kind of in the rationalist space, if you will. And uh, yeah, I, people have made comparisons between she and I a few different times I've seen on Twitter, uh, people calling like me the male version of her or or the, the female version of me. Uh, she seems cool. I've never talked with her, but uh, she's going to come on the show uh, in a week or two. And I have a bunch of other possible guests lined up. So please do subscribe to the podcast so you can get this on your phone. And uh, yeah, I got a bunch of other cool things coming up, but I don't want to uh, blab too long. Watch out for the for the base Deleuze paperback coming out very, very shortly. So, all right, folks, thanks for hanging out. I appreciate it as always. And uh, come back next time and we'll, I'll see you soon. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you thought that was cool, then don't forget to subscribe and it would be even cooler if you left a review. I'd appreciate that. And yeah, just to learn more about what I'm up to, you can check out theotherlifenow.com. That's all. And I will see you around the internet.